You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Kubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, I've got a terrific program lined up for you. Joining me in segments two and three of today's program is one of the hardest working technical analysts in the business. His name is Dr. Robert McHugh. He's a returning guest. And I'll give Bob's assessment of the U.S. economy, uh, Fed policy, and where it goes from here and what it means for you. I'll also get his rather startling forecast for stocks. You'll want to stay tuned for that as well. That, again, is in segments two and three of today's program. It is the month of June, and because it is another month, I have another special report available for you. The June 2023 special report is titled, Current Economy Income Strategies. Income is the lifeblood of a successful stress-free retirement. So if you're retired or have the desire to retire comfortably someday, income planning should really be the most important thing that you do. This report, which is available by going to the website requestyourreport.com and letting you know where to mail the report, the report outlines three income planning mistakes that are often made in light of current economic conditions and then gives you step-by-step instructions as to how to do your income planning in today's economy. So again, to get a copy of that report, visit requestyourreport.com. Again, the website is requestyourreport.com, and I'll not only send you the June special report, you'll also get some bonus information as well. You know, in the report, I, I talk about the fact that income planning mistake number one is using accumulation strategies when you are in your distribution stage. And it's an important enough topic that I wanted to cover it in this first segment of today's program. And again, if you're using accumulation strategies when you are in or about to enter the distribution stage, you could be setting yourself up for quite a mistake. And this is a key point that that many from my experience, uh, even most retirees and those planning for retirement miss. And I do some consulting with other financial professionals, and I can say without hesitation that from my experience, most financial professionals miss this key point as well. So what am I talking about? Well, it's simply this. If you're using accumulation strategies when you're taking income from your investment portfolio, you could be setting yourself up for taking income from an investment that could fluctuate greatly in value and cause actually your portfolio to blow up or to the the withdrawal levels to not be sustainable at some future point. So if you don't already have one, you need to get a distribution plan in place that can allow you to get income from your investment portfolio safely. Now, while I am not a mountain climber, I'm told that there are many more climbers that are injured or die descending from the peak of Mount Everest than there are climbers that are injured or die on the ascent. And here's why. When training for the grueling task of scaling Mount Everest, many climbers prepare for the ascent but they completely forget about or give little thought to the descent. Yet the mountain climbing realities are that there are techniques to use when ascending and other different techniques to use on the descent. Well, the same is true when planning for your retirement income. 
the investment strategies and techniques that are used in accumulating investments for retirement are not the same strategies that should be used during the income or distribution phase of retirement. Let me repeat that. It is an extremely important point. The investment strategies and techniques that are used in accumulating investments for retirement are not the same strategies that should be used during the income or distribution phase of retirement. Yet many retirees, would-be retirees and financial professionals use accumulation techniques in their distribution phase and often, or at least occasionally, that works to their detriment. Now, let me give you an example so you can understand exactly what I'm saying here. Typically, when you're accumulating assets for retirement, you use some type of retirement plan. It might be a 401k. If you have a 401k, you might benefit from an employer match. You put in some money, your employer matches that or matches it to some percentage. Maybe if you work for a nonprofit, you use a 403b. A 403b is simply in essence, a 401k for those that work in the nonprofit area, or maybe just an IRA. Now, when you use a vehicle like this, a 401k, a 403b, or an IRA, you get some tax savings when the contribution is made to the retirement plan. But the typical investments used in a retirement plan, and this is not always the case, but typically, it's stock funds, bond funds, or balanced funds. And balanced funds contain both stock investments and bond investments. There's another type of fund that over the past decade or so has become a lot more popular, and these are target retirement funds. For example, if your target retirement date is 2030 and someone else's target retirement date is 2040, if you invest in a target 2030 fund, you typically have more bonds than you do in a target 2040 fund. But in most cases, from my experience, and you wanna do your homework, you wanna to talk to your financial professional, uh, you want to read the prospectus, all these investments revolve around stock funds and bond funds or stocks and bonds. So the common advice offered to those investing their retirement account assets is to weight the portfolio more towards stocks in the early accumulation years and more towards bonds as one nears retirement. This traditional guidance is based on the assumption that stocks and bonds move in opposite directions. An investment professional might say they are inversely correlated. That simply means they move in opposite directions. And that is based on the assumption that bonds are more conservative than stocks. Now, that assumption, the assumption that bonds are more conservative than stocks can be right at times, but other times it can be completely dead wrong. It is at times that this advice is dead wrong that it can cost a wannabe retiree their dreams of a retirement with ample income to meet their lifestyle needs and lifestyle desires. Now, in this special report, and again, if you'd like to get this month's special report, go to requestyourreport.com. Request That's requestyourreport.com. Let me know where to mail the report, and I'll be glad to get it out to you. In the report, I published a chart that illustrates the break-even curve. What is the break-even curve? 
Well, it simply is a curve that illustrates that the greater the percentage loss you experience in a portfolio, the exponentially greater gain you need to recover that loss. So let me give you a couple quick examples. If you have $100,000 in your IRA or 401k or 403b, and you lose 10%, you now have $90,000. If you get a 10% gain subsequent to that 10% loss, your $90,000 now grows to $99,000. To get back to even, you need an 11.1% gain after experiencing that 10% loss. Now a 50% loss, so in this case, your $100,000 in a 401k or 403b or IRA turns into 50,000, a 50% gain subsequent to a 50% loss still leaves you with $75,000 down 25%. You need a 100% gain to get back to even. So again, my point is simply this, for every percentage loss experienced in a portfolio, the percentage gain that has to be realized subsequent to experiencing that loss has to be exponentially greater to get back to break even. Now just imagine for a moment that you're retiring with a nest egg of a million dollars. And let's say you wanna draw income from your nest egg of $50,000 a year, which is 5% of your $1 million accumulated balance. Should you elect to use accumulation strategies during this distribution phase, and should you experience a 40% decline in the value of your nest egg, you're now taking a withdrawal of $50,000 annually on a total portfolio value of $600,000. That's a withdrawal rate of 8.3% instead of 5%, which over time will likely be very unsustainable. So these examples, this discussion, hopefully makes the importance of a distribution strategy very clear. If you continue to use the same strategies in managing your nest egg as you're approaching retirement and after you retire, and you're subjecting all your assets to drawdown or market decline, you're taking a very large risk. And that's why you need a distribution strategy. A solid distribution strategy needs to eliminate, or at the very least, mitigate drawdown. So if you'd like to get this month's special report, all you need to do is go to the website, requestyourreport.com, let me know where to mail the report, and I will send you the June 2023 special report titled, Current Economy Income Strategies. Again, the website is requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words with my special guest this week, Dr. Robert McHugh. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me on today's program once again is returning guest, Dr. Bob McHugh. Uh, Bob is the uh, publisher of one of the most comprehensive daily market investing technical analysis newsletters uh, that I'm aware of. You can learn more about his work at technicalindicatorindex.com. 
He also um, offers a platinum and silver trading program, a couple different trading programs we'll talk to him about uh, to uh, subscribers. And uh, Bob, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Welcome back to the program. Uh, thanks, Dennis. I always enjoy uh, speaking with you. It's, it's always a pleasure. So, Bob, let's just start with uh, the U.S. economy. Uh, after the last Fed meeting, uh, Chairman Powell suggested that future rate increases, interest rate increases would not be automatic, that they'd be looking at the data. And uh, since he made that statement, the data is such that corporate bankruptcies are now at a high not seen, uh, I think, since 2010. And inflation is once again heating up. So uh, what, what would you, first of all, just to get started here, how would you rate the health of the U.S. economy? It's very sick. It's, it's a lot sicker than the mainstream media wants people to, to recognize. Uh, you know, there's all this talk about the large tech companies, the big eight, you know, the, the chip company, Nevada, the uh, Microsoft's, Apple's, Google, you know, and so on. It's it, meta. meta. And, and everybody can get the false impression so easily from the mainstream media that as long as those companies have their stock price going up and their revenues are going up and their subscribers are going up, that all is well with the world. And it's just the opposite. It's just those eight stocks. Uh, you look at the predominance of the uh, all the stocks in the in the country, and they're going downhill. Uh, the the, uh, the there's a disconnect between uh, the accumulation of uh, the, the cumulative New York st stock uh, advanced decline line and and the S and P 500, which is driven by those eight stocks. And so to talk about the economy a little bit, just look at inflation. I mean. We were just doing some household uh, analysis the other day, and we realized, okay, it went up a hundred bucks a year that that year, or two hundred bucks three years ago, five hundred bucks, and we did the percentages, and our car insurance is up fifty percent, and we don't have any car accidents, and food's up, uh, you know, a hundred percent in four years. So when you hear like an eight percent inflation rate, yeah, that's one year. You compound it over four years. You go back to the COVID down, lockdown period. And inflation's up 50%, you know. So people are trying to struggle. Where are we going to get the money? They're cutting back. You can see it, and uh, and, and it's tough. Uh, so I, my impression, and then just looking at the statistics and the numbers and stock stock market and so on, is that uh, there's a false read on the stock market, and the economy is really sick. Well, Bob, and just to kind of uh, to, to to add on to what you said there. Uh, credit card debt in the U.S. is now, if not at all-time highs, near all-time highs, there is about a trillion dollars in credit card debt. And, you know, at, at the time of year, you would expect that people would be paying down credit cards. That's not what's happening. And, and that kind of gives you an indication that people are using credit cards and loans to just make ends meet. Yeah, that's right. I see the same thing. You, you hear a lot of people are tapped out now on their credit cards. They were going on it, living on it for a while. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are not in the labor force, you know, because they've been doing that and they're going to have to join the labor force. Um, you know, supply continues to be a major, major problem in this economy. The Fed has been attacking this uh, from the wrong direction of the equilibrium equation between supply and demand. They've been going after shutting down demand for products and services. And what they really should have been doing is working with the Treasury and the 
policymakers to to increase the supply of goods and services. I, I mean, it's three, four years later now from the from the lockdown, and every car dealership we drive by locally in this Pennsylvania area I'm from, there's no new cars out there. There's nothing. They're still not supplying brand new cars. I mean, maybe you get one here or there, but um, it's amazing the supply problem. Workers are still in great demand. People, there's there's hiring signs everywhere. The labor shortages are are everywhere. Um, you know, every now and then you find out that the mayonnaise you used is gone. They don't make that anymore. Or the peanut butter you liked is no longer there, and so on. There's a serious, serious supply problem that's not being addressed. And until that is, this economy is not going to improve. And it's all the all the Fed's done is cause an awful lot of un- unnecessary pain with their ridiculous, uh, rapid, historically rapid rise in interest rates. It's just killing small small time businesses and mom and pops and, and families and households. Um, and, and it's a shame. It really is. So, Bob, when you look at what the Fed's options are, um, this is the way I see it, and I'd like your feedback. I think the Fed has two options. They're, they're, they're both bad. One, uh, they, they pivot, which is now the popular term. They, they revert to easy money policies. And, uh, you know, while they're talking about a taper behind the scenes, when we saw the banking failures, the Fed backstopped that. Uh, that was just currency creation to backstop that. Uh, so that, that that's feeding inflation. So so they won. They they go back to easy money policies to try to prop this economy back up, which probably creates more inflation. Or two, they stay the course and we go to you know what is arguably going to be a deflationary depression given current private sector debt levels, and that doesn't even take into account government debt levels. So I guess one, do you agree with that assessment? And if so, uh, which way do you think the Fed goes? I do agree, Dennis, and I, I guess I lean toward the scenario where they continue to raise interest rates and go with the depression, uh, inflationary depression direction, because you know they they see the unemployment numbers, they think they think that's a permission slip to raise rates. Um, they're on the wrong track. I, I can't imagine why they would suddenly get uh, knowledge and all of a sudden say, "Wait a minute, we need to reverse course here." Um, the banks are, are there. There's going to be a lot of, uh, of problems uh, with with debt going bad uh, soon, and the banks. There's going to be banks that are going to feel it, and so those problems are, are headed our way. But not before uh, the Fed does more damage, raising more interest rates. I, I really think they're going to keep that going. Uh, that's my view here. So. Bob, you mentioned banks, uh, you know, when, when you study history and take a look at the Panic of 1837, the Long Depression of 1873, the, the Great Depression and, you know, the Bank Holiday of 1933, uh, banking failures have always kind of been the canary in the coal mine, so to speak. Uh, and one of the first things we see happen before we go into this this deflationary time frame. So, um, you, you know, you think that that's probably where we're going, you would suggest. How, how severe do you think this downturn actually gets? Well, I mean, if you follow technical analysis of the stock market, it's calling for a real big problem here. Uh, this is a historic uh, grand super cycle bear market that we're just really starting in. And so the charts, the charts are saying that uh, it's going to get a whole lot worse. Um, do you 
do you think we're we're on uh, on a path, or we're going to see you know, a repeat of what we saw in the 1930s? Uh, yeah, I do. I think that that's very possible because of the mistakes of the Federal Reserve, because of the mistakes of the policymakers that run the economy, where they're um, not addressing the supply side of, of of our economy. I mean, housing. You can't buy a house in Pennsylvania. Um, the, the prices of housing are continuing to rise rapidly because there's no supply of housing. Uh, part of the problem is Zillow and Blackstone and these large REITs, these real estate investment trusts, they're, they're just gobbling up houses. And that's going to require a legislation change where they're prohibited from doing that. And, and all they're doing is driving prices higher and higher. That's a supply issue. Housing, basic housing is a supply issue. I mean, if you just read the, watch the YouTubes for fun once in a while at night and put in, plug in uh, uh, homeless, it's interesting. It's very educational. Almost every single city now in this country has tents up and down the main streets of their, of their, of their cities of the homeless people. And these are not just druggies and, and people that have, uh, you know, are, are mentally ill or whatever. These are people that had uh, bad things happen to them economically and, and, they, and, they're, and they've given up. And, and so this is what they're doing. And, and this, is a, this is a very dangerous situation because it's going to result in increases in crime, whether it's uh, cybercrime or actually people just busting in your house. It's, it's, it's definitely headed in the wrong direction. And I, I, I keep saying this. I've been writing about it for a long time now. The problem is a lack of supply. And, and they've got to do something to incent production and to incent people to work, and they're not doing it. Bob, at the beginning of the segment, I mentioned to the listeners that you offer a platinum trading uh, service as well as a silver trading service. Do you want to explain a little bit about that as we close this segment? Oh, sure. Thanks, Dennis. Yeah, what we do is we provide the newsletters forecasting the market movements up or down, both short-term, intermediate, intermediate, and long-term. And uh, as a service that we brought on uh, about 10 years ago, we also offer the opportunity for people to evaluate potential opportunities in, in trading the market with options or exchange-traded funds on the indexes, the major stock indexes themselves, like you could trade the industrials to go up or down, the S&P to go up and down, NASDAQ to go up or down, and we time it based on what we see in the, in the different uh, charts and indicators we track. So we offer that as an additional service to our newsletters for people that want to have a premium product for educational reasons. They may want to just see what we're thinking. They may want to actually play around with it, give it to their financial advisor and say, hey, what do you think? Uh, should we do this trade or that trade? And it's a way to make some extra money for a lot of people. Well, I'm chatting today with Dr. Robert McHugh. You can learn more about his work at technicalindicatorindex.com. The website, again, technicalindicatorindex.com. As I said at the outset, Bob publishes uh, one of the most comprehensive daily investing newsletters that I have ever seen. I'd encourage you to check it out. I'll continue my conversation with Dr. Robert McHugh when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us.
I'm Dennis Tubergen, your host. You're listening to RLA Radio, and I have the pleasure of chatting today with returning guest, Dr. Robert McHugh. If you're just tuning in, uh, Dr. McHugh uh, publishes a very comprehensive daily investing newsletter. You can learn more at technicalindicatorindex.com. And I'd encourage you to do that. But Bob, in the last segment, um, you used the term that the charts are now telling you that we are at the beginning stages of a grand super cycle bear market. Can you explain what that means? Sure. Um, the the uh, world economy has been uh, tracking Elliott waves for thousands of years, hundreds of years. And the best data we have, it goes back toward the 1700s uh, due to the the good work of a lot of people like Robert Prechter and people like that. And uh, what we are seeing now is that the uh, markets have just completed grand super cycle degree wave three, which is a multi-century move up. And Waves move in, you know, one up, two down, three up, four down, five up, and five sequence uh, waves. And we are now in the a four wave down, a grand super cycle four wave down, correcting what has been a movement for for two or three centuries. So this is a big, big drop. To give you a perspective, the Great Depression of the 1930s was a super cycle uh, wave four down. So this is a level higher or worse than that. And that's what's just starting. It'll probably last at least 10 years, maybe more. And it's going to do a lot of damage and probably change the way we see the world by the time it's all over. Not to scare people, but, you know, you can always prepare, do the best you can to deal with it. But it's best to be prepared, you know, prepare for the worst, you know, expect the best, prepare for the worst kind of thing. Uh, so that's the that's the overall arching of uh, a picture, the big picture right now. So, Bob, as it relates to stocks, you're obviously expecting stocks to decline from here. Um, give the listeners, to the extent you're comfortable, some idea as to when you think this decline begins and how severe does it get? Do, do you have downside targets on the major stock market indices like the Dow and the S&P? Yes. Um, the bear market started in November of 21 in the NASDAQ and in January of 22 uh, in the S&P and the industrials. So basically about a year and a half ago for both all the major indices. And we had a stock market crash throughout most of 2022 that bottomed on October 13th of 2022. So it was about a 10-month crash. And it didn't feel like a drastic crash because it was kind of a, a stair step. Uh, up, down, up, down, and the rallies were were steep. But by the time we got to the bottom in October, the markets were down almost 25, 30%. That's a crash. And since then, since October, um, the market has been correcting that crash and has retraced about 50%, which is a mild correction in perspective. A lot of corrections go 61.8%, but the rally from October is nearing its end. And that, um, that's about only about only we got a, only we only got about 50% retracement, so that's weak. And now I think it's getting ready to turn down again. We could start seeing that third wave down, uh, the, the, which could wave one would have been the crash, wave two was the rally since October, and now we're going to soon start I think wave three down, uh, which would take stocks lower 
far lower than the October 22 lows. Eventually, to answer your question, uh, we're looking at an 80 to 90% drop in the value of the stock market before this thing's all said and done. Well, I interviewed Harry Dent a, a few weeks ago here on the program. He has a similar forecast, but uh, for different reasons. So it's interesting that he's using more fundamental and demographic analysis. You're using technical analysis, and uh, both of you are coming to a similar conclusion. So if you think about an 80 to 90% correction in stocks, to, to most of our listeners, that is just unfathomable. Uh, you just You just can't imagine that. Uh, so will there be any areas of opportunity moving ahead or are we seeing, you know, what a lot of analysts are calling an everything bubble unwind here? It will probably be an everything bubble. That's for sure. And, you know, there are financial instruments you can play to play it, to, to make money as it goes down, or you can just play it very safe and get a lot of cash put it in uh, banks that are uh, been around for a long time. They're not these high-flying, fast-growth banks that we just saw go down the toilet. You want a bank that's been around a long time, a community bank. It has conservative lending practices, solid ca uh, so uh, capital ratios, um, is, is, is grown slowly, and doesn't have a lot of what they call hot money, which is deposits from people over $250,000. That's hot money. They grow their banks fast with that, but that leaves fast also, which creates a liquidity crisis, which caused the banks to, to collapse. We just saw you want a strong community bank that has a lot of small depositors, keeps them under, keep the money under the FDIC insurance, $250,000 limit and diversify among half a dozen banks. So if one bank has a little bit of a struggle or something, you got others. So that's one way to, to play it as well is, is, is to hang on to cash. In depressions, the old saying is cash is king because eventually prices will start dropping and then you'll have opportunities that way too. Well, I was just going to play devil's advocate as you were talking there because uh, around the world, there is certainly accelerating movement away from the U.S. dollar. Uh, the BRICS countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, as well as many other countries that have expressed interest in now, now joining or aligning with BRICS are actively looking for a reserve currency alternative to the U.S. dollar. How do you think that might affect, if at all, someone who says, okay, I'm just going to put my money in, in cash and, and ride this out? Well, the reserve currency has always been of the nation that has the largest military power on Earth. and so. As long as the United States is the number one military power on Earth, that'll probably keep the reserve currency in the U.S. dollar. Um, if it changes, then that could change. But, uh, you know, when you hear about nations starting to move away from the reserve currency of the U.S. dollar, <laughs> and a lot of times you'll see a war right after that against those countries, which is kind of weird, but that, that tends to happen. So, um, you know, Iraq cried a lot about that, and we saw what happened to Iraq with the United States war. So I would stick with the dollar, I mean, until you see a better option, you know, what, what else is there? Yeah, so, Bob, as you uh, uh, were talking, you, you, you know, you really expect that uh, deflation will ultimately cure the inflation problem. Is, is that what I'm hearing you saying? Or are you saying that 
we might get more of a stagflationary outcome where we have inflation in things we buy and, and deflation or maybe falling prices in things we own. Uh, I think that initially it'll be stagflation, high inflation, low, slowing economy, and that's because of the supply issue problems. And then it'll eventually collapse into a uh, declining price situation, deflation, uh, depressionary scenario as things get really bad. Uh, so it's kind of going to be a phase one, phase two type bear market, I think. So, Bob, with uh, all the theatrics, as we're recording this, uh, it is Wednesday, May 31. So just a few days before the, the radio program and podcast will air. Uh, we've got all the theatrics going on in Washington relating to the uh, debt ceiling and, and the deal that uh, McCarthy and Biden put together. Um, not much as far as spending cuts go. And it's like we're going to agree to spend $4 trillion more, uh, add $4 trillion to the debt. Uh, a lot, lot of resistance being met on this. Um, so, you know, nothing serious really going on to preserve the integrity of U.S. government bonds. Uh, do you have a forecast for government bonds? Uh, and what, what are your charts telling you? Well, the chart is on, on the U.S. Treasury and bonds uh, that I do in the, in the newsletter. Had them bottoming pretty close to where they did. In other words, the interest rates kind of peaked pretty close to where where they, they have peaked. Uh, those are the longer-term uh, securities. Um, and then uh, as the economy starts to falter again, they will rally. And, and I actually have pretty strong high upside projections for the value of bonds and treasury notes, long-term treasury notes. But the, sh the pain's going to be in the short-term interest rate scenarios as the Fed keeps tightening the short term. But so there, there is a scenario where we go back down to retest the lows in the uh, treasuries, um, which would mean, you know, a drop toward 110, 108 in uh, the treasury right now. It's at 113. We're not far from that. But I do have it once this, this uh, economy start and the markets start really dropping, it'll, it could rally in the opposite direction. I mean, in the, in the 1987 stock market crash, which a lot of us lived through, some of us didn't, the bond market rose 10 points in one day. When the stock market crashed 25%, the bond market rose 10 points, which was historically ridiculously unbelievable. And so usually they will move inversely when you start seeing serious stock market crashes uh, on the long end of the, of the spectrum. And Bob, in the time we have left, I'd love to get your take on gold or gold and silver. What are your charts telling you? Gold is hung up frustratingly for uh, for uh, gold bugs. It's hung up in a pattern. It's a large cup and handle pattern. And the last part of it, pick, picture a teacup. You've grabbed the handle at the right-hand side. It's there. And it's frustrating because it's getting hard. To, it's hard. It's, it's getting stuck in there. It needs to break out to the upside. It will, eventually it will. And uh, it's tested the upper breakout point three times in the last uh, three years, and it's failed each time. So maybe the fourth time will be the charm, but once it busts above 2100, gold busts above 2100, it's off to the races. Gold should really take off sharply from this uh, very reliable pattern. This pattern's you know, 12 years old. It started in 2011. So, um, that's where I'm seeing gold, but it's just a frustratingly slow process to get that breakout. In the meantime, it's just kind of in a sideways 
uh, lethargy to, 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 to just hang out and wait for some event, whether it be news or a bad economy or something will happen to bust gold higher. Uh, I'm not sure what the news event will be, but it's going to happen. Silver should track it pretty closely. I have the same forecast for silver. Mining stocks are a little different. They're kind of a mix of the two. Uh, ultimately, they think they will follow gold and silver, but initially they may follow the stock market down. So that's a little bit tougher call on mining stocks. Well, the clock says we need to leave it there. My guest today has been Dr. Bob McHugh. His website is technicalindicatorindex.com. The website, again, technicalindicatorindex.com. Bob, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Appreciate your perspective, and I know the listeners do too as well. I get great feedback when you're on the program, and I'd love to have you back down the road. So thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dennis. It's really a treat for me too, and I appreciate uh, the opportunity. We will return after these words. This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Kubergen. Glad you're listening in today, and thanks again to Dr. Robert McHugh for joining me on today's program. It is June, which means I have a brand new June special report for you. You can get the report titled Current Economy Income Strategies by visiting the website requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. When you go to the website, just let me know where to mail the report. I'll be very glad to do so, and I'll send it to you at no cost and with no future obligation. Again, the website is requestyourreport.com. Well, did you happen to see the Gallup poll that was released recently, just about two weeks ago now, as I am recording the program? According to this poll of Americans, The average annual income that an American family needs to get by has increased nearly 50% since 2013. This is in line with what Dr. Bob McHugh said in the last segment, that food costs in the last four years are up 100%. Your grocery budget has just about doubled. Gallup said this when reporting on the poll results. Americans, on average, estimate that a family of four needs a minimum income of $85,000 annually to get by in their community, marking a considerable increase from a decade ago. The past decade has witnessed not only an increase in the average income required, but also a notable shift in the upper range of income expectations. During that time, the proportion of Americans who believe that a family needs more than $100,000 to get by has tripled to 30%. 18% 18% now estimated to be between seventy-five dollars and $99,000, and 31% thinks it is fifty to $74,999. Half as many Americans now as in 2013 believe that a family of four can get by on less than $50,000 annually. This includes 3% who estimate a figure lower than $30,000 and 11% who cite a figure between $30,000 and $49,999. 
The latest average of $85,000, and this is from a poll taken April 3 to 25, is notably higher than the federal poverty line for a family of four, which is currently $30,000. In 2013, the average estimate was $58,000, and the federal poverty line for a family of four was $23,550. Accounting for inflation and the subsequent change in purchasing power, Americans' 2013 estimate translates to $75,668 in 2023 dollars. So now Americans, according to this poll, need about $9,000 more when adjusting these numbers for inflation. Bottom line, whether you agree with those numbers or not, those are poll results from Gallup, and they simply reflect the fact that inflation is touching every American family, as we talked about with Dr. Bob McHugh on today's program. Some of you also probably saw the news recently that real estate investing legend Sam Zell passed away. I, for one, always appreciated Mr. Zell's perspective and appreciated the interviews that he conducted. Now, right up to the time of his death, Mr. Zell was doing interviews and making his economic and investing forecasts. And past guest here on the program, John Rabino, recently wrote about Mr. Zell's forecasting track record, which was uncannily accurate. Here's what Mr. Rabino wrote about Mr. Zell. He said, I'm old enough to have followed Sam Zell during the second half of his storied real estate career. And in that time, he's been right in a big way on the major financial turning points. At the bubble peaks of 1999 and 2007, for instance, he sold most of his commercial real estate and loaded up on cash. Mr. Zell saw it coming. He was right and he capitalized on it. Mr. Rabino wrote that Mr. Zell swooped back in at the bottoms and bought distressed real estate assets for pennies on the dollar. That's how, Mr. Rabino writes, you become a legend. Sam died this week, he wrote, but despite his apparently failing health, he was doing interviews right up to the end in which he once again predicted a crash and claimed to be selling off his properties once again. Now, here's a quote from Mr. Zell three months ago in which he says, quote, I've never seen the Fed get lucky, quote, prepare for higher costs, and quote, the real estate industry has to deal with all kinds of things related to an unrealistically low cost of capital. In an interview two months ago, Mr. Zell said this, quote, we're in this mess because the Fed didn't do their job. Quote, this is the Weimar Republic. And quote, the correction is going to take a lot longer than people expect. Now, assuming Mr. Zell is right again, another 2000 or 2008 or perhaps something worse is headed this way. That seems to confirm what Dr. McHugh's charts are saying as well. Rabino writes this, real estate and stocks will tank and bonds might follow. The smartest investors will stockpile cash and return to the market when there's blood in the streets. Not a pretty analogy, but certainly one we all understand. So that said, if you have not yet 
gone to request your report to request the June 2023 special report, which talks about current economy income strategies. It outlines three income planning mistakes. I talked about one of those mistakes in segment one, and that is using accumulation strategies when you are in your distribution stage. If Dr. McHugh is right, if my forecasts are correct, if Mr. Zell is correct, you'll certainly want to put distribution strategies in place to protect yourself. So again, that report is available by requestyourreport.com. There's also resources available at the website, Retirement Lifestyle Advocates. I'd encourage you to check that out as well. The website is retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That's all the time I have for this week. I'll be back again next week. <laughs>